Welcome back to On Call, a podcast from Amerisource Bergen. This is the third episode in our Buy and Bill series, and we are joined by Christy McGowan, Senior Business Consultant for Amerisource Bergen, who will continue our discussion of this process. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to have you joining us today. To do a quick recap on the last two podcasts, we reviewed the buy and bill model, other approaches often required by payer contracts to the buy and bill model, which is white bagging and brown bagging. We discussed the pros and cons of each option. As we travel the country and work with practices in our consulting business, we find the very best model is often a combination of the buy and bill model and white bagging when forced contractually by a payer. We're going to talk today about the reimbursement aspect for the buy and bill model and hopefully provide you some education that'll help you if you're currently administering drug or if you're getting ready to, to start venturing down the road of doing infusions in your own clinic. When it comes to revenue cycle in general, there are four key issues that negatively impact the health of your revenue cycle. The buy and bill model is no different. However, due to the high cost of drugs involved, it's imperative processes are followed to ensure timely reimbursement from the payers to cover the dollars already spent to obtain the drugs needed for patients. The first item that we're going to talk about in those four key issues are their front end processes. And patient registration is key at that front end process. You know, our people at the front desk are no longer just friendly greeters. We want them friendly. We want them to greet the patients and make them feel like they're at home, but they need to understand the nuances of medical billing and understand how to register a patient correctly. The medical billing process starts at the initial point of contact between a patient and a physician office. This is the start of your revenue cycle. During this interaction, front end staff must collect patient information that will lay the foundation for billing and collecting from a revenue cycle perspective. Getting the most accurate information up front starts with patient registration. Accurate registration provides the groundwork by which claims can be billed and collected in the most efficient and effective manner possible. The last thing you want are denials due to registration issues that result in extra work across all departments. If you get the information up front in as pleasant a manner as possible, it saves heartache for the patient and family if the claim is processed and cleared in a judicious manner. The next item in the front end process is the eligibility and benefit verification process. Ensuring a patient's demographic information is correctly put into the provider's billing system is essential. It is also key that front end staff also verify health insurance status and coverage. A claim remedy survey found that eligibility issues are the top reason for claim rejections, and about 8% of claims submitted are rejected because of eligibility problems. The survey stated that providers were not asking patients and insurance companies the right questions regarding eligibility, causing an increase in denials and rejections. Physician practices should regularly retrain front-end employees regarding patient registration and remind workers to check a patient's eligibility for each appointment, not just the first one. With Medicare, typically they can't bounce from plan to plan, so once a year checking their eligibility should be great, but with Medicaid, they can hop from plan to plan even within one month's time, so verifying that they've got eligibility in place is key to ensuring reimbursement on those plans. The next item in the front end process is key and that's prior authorization. Most high cost drugs require prior authorization for your non-Medicare payers. Obtaining prior authorization before treatment will also notify you if the patient drug requires utilization of the specialty pharmacy. 
Payers now require the practice to obtain prior authorization in advance of treatment. Very few will allow retroactive authorization unless it's an emergent situation. Failure to obtain prior authorization results in a denial without any recourse to collect from the insurance or the patient and ultimately results in a loss of reimbursement to the practice. The loss can be significant when authorization isn't obtained on a high-cost drug. To ensure you have the appropriate authorization, the practice should obtain the following information. Does the patient's insurance plan provide coverage for the drug under medical benefit or pharmacy benefit? Does the patient's insurance plan require poor authorization for the drug before initiation of therapy? What information does the patient's insurance plan need for the prior authorization process? Typically, this is medical records that will support medical necessity. How long will a prior authorization process take? We've seen in some practices it can take three days. With other payers, it can take up to two weeks. Oftentimes, if you write urgent on the prior auth, you're going to find that it turns around a little bit more quickly. Once obtained, how long will the prior authorization last before another one is required? Do they give you an authorization for a set number of visits, for a set number of units on the drug, or does it expire at a specific date? What is the patient's cost-sharing responsibilities? What is the patient's annual deductible? Has the deductible been met in full? How much is left? What is the patient's maximum out-of-pocket requirement? If they haven't met that out-of-pocket, how much is left? Does the patient have other non-primary sources of healthcare coverage, which need coordination of benefits, which insurance is primary? I would be surprised if any of you that's on this call haven't experienced a patient that's come into the practice and said, I've got this insurance first and this one second, only to find out that the insurances aren't even sure which one is primary. So making sure that you're aware of the coordination of benefits will protect you from any financial loss. The next item that falls under the four key issues that can create challenges in the practice is whether you have a financial counselor that discusses the patient out-of-pocket costs with them prior to treatment. You know, the main goal of medical billing is to collect the full amount of services rendered, but many healthcare organizations have recently experienced more issues with collecting payments from patients because of an increase in patient financial responsibility. About 90% of the 12.7 million individuals participating in the 2019 open enrollment period selected a high deductible insurance plan, according to CMS. The increase in high deductible plans shifted healthcare payment responsibility to the patient rather than the payer. An Instamed report from June stated that nearly three quarters of providers have witnessed an increase in patient financial responsibility since 2015. 70% of providers anticipate a month or longer to receive payments from the patients if they get payment at all. To help boost patient revenue, physician practices should implement financial policies that include estimating cost of services, informing patients about financial responsibility, and collecting some of the balance while the patient is still in the practice. With high deductibles, because many people are forced into a situation where they owe far more money than they used to for the same services, their share has grown so significantly that a lot of providers have decided to try to collect this money prior to initiating treatment. Having the conversation with the patients prior to administering the drug allows the practice to understand the patient's ability to pay and provides the practice the opportunity to connect with foundations for grants or manufacturers for patient assistance programs. If your practice doesn't have a financial counselor that assists patients with manufacturer assistance programs, the position is worth their weight in gold. 
A good financial counselor will cover their salary 10 to 20 times over by obtaining grants and copay assistance for the patients. Patients who typically could not afford their cost share now have the ability to receive their treatment and not experience financial toxicity. The next item in those four areas that can create challenges in the practice is manual claims management processes versus sophisticated technology. As most physician practices know, submitting a claim involves more than just pushing a button. Providers must engage robust data collection tools, develop effective communication channels between front-end, billing, and clinical staff, and streamline denials management procedures. Claims management is a complex process for the entire physician practice, especially as more providers transition to data-driven value-based care models. As we work with practices, we often see the very best in technology on the front end. So, you know, in an oncology practice, we may see radiation and the very best, highest, newest drugs in the cabinet. But when we get back to the office where they bill the claims, they may have technology from 20 years ago and still try to submit claims manually. Those practices have a very difficult time competing in this market and tend to lose a lot more revenue than others that are prepared with technology. A report from HIMSS Analytics in July of 2019, one third of providers still use a manual process for claim submission and denial management. Insurance carriers have invested millions of dollars in their claims adjudication systems designed specifically to pend, delay, and deny high-dollar drug claims. Manual processes are unable to compete, and practices using them will find themselves unable to manage the denial workload, ultimately resulting in lost revenue to the practice. Practices need sophisticated technology to level the playing field with claim scrubbing and edits to notify the billing team of an error prior to submission and avoid getting the claims denied. Given the complexities around submitting claims and labor associated with managing denials, it's surprising more practice have not automated the denial management process through a vendor-provided solution. Automating the medical billing and claims management process could help providers retrieve reimbursements from rejections and denials in a timelier manner. The HIMSS analytics report stated that organizations with a vendor solution were able to better identify root cause of denials, manage resolutions, and reduce write-offs. There is a tremendous amount of opportunity with automation. From a claims processing perspective, there are still a number of manual processes as you go through the entire revenue cycle, which in and of itself contributes to inaccuracies. That is why there's a huge need for claim scrubbers, follow-up work, and highly skilled, highly trained billing personnel. The last item in those four areas that can create challenges in the practice is inaccurate coding, and this remains a top medical billing error across the United States. Incorrectly or mistakenly coding a medical service will likely lead to an uptick in claims denials, so physician practices should regularly train clinical staff on CPT and ICD coding updates and encourage billing staff to communicate with clinicians if there are documentation issues. Denials for medical necessity seem to plague many practices in the buy and bill model. Properly assigning the correct ICD-10 based coding guidelines are not just a recommendation, they must be followed in order to receive timely reimbursement. The majority of medical necessity denials can be avoided by ensuring the billing team has a strong knowledge of how to code and order the ICD-10 codes on the claim. Much of this could be avoided if the billing team 
were given the codes utilized to obtain prior authorization and ensure the physician documentation and nurse documentation of drug administration support medical necessity by assigning the appropriate codes in the EMR. This process really starts at the top. The physicians should understand the ICD-10 coding and be able to select the code that supports medical necessity for the services that are given, especially for those high-dollar drugs that are being administered to the patients. Now, as we talk a little bit about the drug reimbursement model, there was a change in 2004 as legislated by the Medicare Modernization Act. Reimbursement for drugs paid under Part B began to be linked to average sales price, or ASP, reported by manufacturers to the government. Many regulations determine how ASP is reported and calculated, and CMS has issued several clarifications through rulemaking since the program began. ASP is intended to reflect the acquisition costs for providers and the basis for determining payments to physicians under Part B. ASP is updated quarterly, and Medicare payments to physicians are at 106% of ASP, which is basically a markup intended to help defray the overhead cost in a practice acquisition, storage, handling, loss, wastage, and many of those items that we talked about when we discussed the buy and bill model. Physicians in the buy and bill model are aware of the impact that sequestration has had on their reimbursement. Applying sequestration to drug resulted in an actual Medicare reimbursement of ASP plus four. Sequestration has been placed on hold due to COVID, but is expected to be reinstated January 1 of 2022. Many commercial payers reimburse at a higher percentage of ASP, which assists in balancing out the lower reimbursement from Medicare and other federal payers. Other payment methodologies include WAC plus pricing, average wholesale pricing, wholesale acquisition cost, plus or minus, and AWP, plus or minus. It's important physician practices are familiar with the payment methodologies in their contracts. A 2017 survey showed physician practices are underpaid 30% of the time on drug reimbursement due to payers' failure to update ASP timely. And it's the practice's responsibility to recognize the underpayment and seek recovery from the payer. You know the payer's going to come after you as soon as they recognize there's an overpayment, but when there's an underpayment, it's up to you to discover and to be able to prove to the payer. In addition, when a new drug is approved, it doesn't have its own J-code or ASP assigned. The payers will resort to the contractual language on how you'll be reimbursed. In many situations, reimbursement is based on a percentage of billed charges. For example, if your contract states they reimburse you 50% of billed charges, you need to at least double your charge to break even and potentially triple your charge to have a margin. Drugs are typically reported using product-specific HICPICS codes, such as J or Q codes. Drugs without an assigned code must be billed with miscellaneous J codes, such as J3490 or J3590. Correct dosing, unit amounts, and the drug NDC are also required on the claim at the time of submission or the claim will be denied. There are dozens of codes that are represented by J3490 or J3590. If you don't put the descriptor in note line 19 or box 2400 in the electronic segment, you're going to have your claims denied. Making sure they have the drug name, the units billed, the dosing, the route of administration, and also the NDC code will ensure that the payer understands the drug you're billing and that you'll get reimbursed appropriately.
As we have reviewed clear, concise policies for managing the steps at the beginning of the revenue cycle, accurately documenting the services provided with ICD-10 codes to support medical necessity is imperative to the success of a medical practice in the buy and bill model. The upfront costs on drug must be recouped timely through clean claim submission and adhering to payer guidelines. Failure to do so will result in financial loss to the practice. Communications with patients prior to treatment and attempting to collect out-of-pocket costs at the time of service reduce the risk of financial loss that results in high patient AR. Practices who manage these procedures well and have invested in sophisticated technology will continue to thrive and be successful in the ever-changing healthcare market. In our upcoming podcast, we will discuss the importance of accessing manufacturer patient assistance and copay programs to protect the practice financially and eliminate patient financial toxicity. That's all for this episode. We hope you join us for the last part of our Buying Bell series coming soon. Visit IPNonline.com in the meantime if you want to reach out to us for more information on Buy and Bill or a variety of other topics related to your specialty practice. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening.